0: All right. Good evening, everyone. So, it's just the the asteroid is, uh, it's a great source of year in Rabbi Karapkin's shul. And I, I don't know, Rabbi Karapkin, how much your understand Rabbi Karapkin served as the president of the Rabbinical Council of America. It's probably one of the most overwhelming jobs in the Orthodox community today. I mean, of course, there's plenty of honor that comes along with it, right? Wonderful, COVID, everybody loves you and appreciates all of the efforts you put in. Occasionally, there are some complaints, but there are few and far between. And I, I was I was privileged to see Rabbi Karavkin handle many many difficult and complicated situations with incredible poise, incredible grace. Incredible and impeccable midos. The truth is, all of the ingredients necessary for a true man Israel. So the crowd is an incredible schostebier in your kehilah. I would say it's it's really a privilege to be here in this community. I want to thank my host, to thank Mel and Karen for hosting me, for uh, for bringing me. And it's so wonderful. I, I get to see the Ram Mishpacha on in in Baltimore, and of course it's uh, incredible schost to see the Ringos as well. Such. Uh, this mishpacha is one that is very, very close to my heart, and I feel like an extension of my own family. I enjoy always getting to see them in the context of Arshul, but it's beautiful to see them, for the, I guess, for the Roms in their home, and for the Ringos, for one of their homes away from home. It's hard to keep up where the Ringos are. Baruch HaShem, but we look forward to seeing you in Baltimore in just a couple of weeks as well. And as Rabbi Kropkin mentioned, you know, I said this, I said this at the Sium, but I think, it, I think it bears repetition. That here, you know, Baruch Hashem, had the great source to come in today, and we had such a such a beautiful Siyam. really such a beautiful Siyam, with such a both begashmius and beruchnius. Just beautiful dinner and such a wonderful Hevra, and just so nice to meet so many people. You know, individuals who I've seen. Uh, I met Lloyd. I've seen I've seen Lloyd on Zoom. I who is this guy, Lloyd? Is it chazen chazen Ch- I wonder who it is. His picture is always off, right? But I, I, but I always see the name. And Baruch Hashem, now I get to come to Canada and I get to meet, But it was wonderful to meet some of the chevro who I didn't know. I get to learn with each and every day. And now again, Baruch Hashem, to my rabbis, I get to see him in Baltimore now, now that he has a son there as well, Baruch Hashem. So it's really wonderful. It feels like, uh, you know, sometimes you have one of these experiences where you think about Mashiach comes, it's going to be Kibbutz Goliath an in-gathering of all the exiles. And sometimes, like, when you go to a new community and you meet people and you didn't realize that you actually know them and you're learning with them, it's like a, like a shtikel kibbutz galios. Like, it's a little bit of a feeling of the ingathering gathering of exiles. Although I feel I'm further exiled here, I'm not going to lie. I, I feel like I'm, this is an extra step of galus. You know, I'm still a provincial North American. So, you know, but it, it really is beautiful just to be able to meet an extended Hebra. But as Rabbi Kravkin mentioned, it is so important for us to recognize that while wow, we sit here In this beautiful shul, in this room we just had a beautiful suda, now I'm going to share some words of Torah, that there are Jewish communities in the Ukraine that are just suffering, suffering day in and day out, and not just the suffering, an overwhelming sense of suffering, of bombardment and existential suffering, a pikuach nefesh, a life-threatening suffering, and You know, as I mentioned, even those who are able to get out and get to Eretz Yisrael, you know, to be honest, Israel is not equipped to deal with thousands of incoming refugees. And although it's beautiful that they're being greeted at the airport with song, I will tell you, I had a conversation with one of my balabatim on Erev Shabbos, who was trying to find Shabbos accommodations and meals for 30 Ukrainian families who were dropped off in Yerushalayim because they said they want to go to Yerushalayim with nothing. Nothing. They have their clothing, they have a carry-on suitcase, and there's, there's nothing else. And it's true, they're out of mortal danger. But they're in a new country, in a new culture, with a language they don't speak. Eretz Yisrael is the homeland for each and every Jew. But when it's a land that you don't know, and you've been thrust there, in the midst of regional conflict, it's overwhelming. And it behooves us, it really is important for us to really make sure that each and every day the plight of our brothers and sisters is front and foremost on our hearts and on our minds. And that's, of course, through tefillah, through davening. But davening is not enough. There are many, I mean, I'm sure there are many, many opportunities to give here in Canada. There are, we have to give. We, ha- we have to give. I will tell you what I told my shul today. We're, we're doing a drive in our shul for, for clothing, just for clothing for the refugee families who came to Yisrael. i going to Yisrael next week and hope to be able to, distribute money to different people you know it's is coming and Yamtiv people buy themselves a new dress a new suit a new pair of shoes if a person is privileged to have children they buy the children new outfits whatever we're doing for ourselves we have to do for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine as well that's what it means to be part of Am Yisrael. and I think again this incredible organization that, that Mel and Karen are at the helm of Chal Yisrael is all about Chasset it's all about chesed. And it's not chesed that gets headline. it's not chesed that everyone knows about. It's the nuanced, beautiful, quiet chesed that we do just to make another Jew feel safe, another Jew feel secure, another Jew feel loved, enveloped by the collective arms of Am Yisrael. And it's overwhelming because we live in times where there's no shortage of chesed. There's no shortage of chesed, but you know, it goes both ways. I mention this again at this, I'm trying not to be too repetitive from the sim, but, you know, it goes both ways because there's also unparalleled wealth in the Jewish community now. We are living in a golden age. So if HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us wealth and he gives us means, that means he gives us more opportunities to properly utilize those means as well. So we should daven, we should give, and emir we dedicate our learning tonight in the Zuchus of our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, that HaKadosh Baruch should provide them a Yeshua just to be able to get out, to find refuge, to find safety and security, and those who are delivered from literally the midst of the furnace and find themselves in a new land, in a new place, give them the siyat of and the incredible koach, to be able to start life all over again. And the Zochos of our learning, Chodesh take care of all of cloudy Yisrael. And the day should come where we shouldn't have to worry about Jewish refugees. They should come where we don't have to worry about Taking care of Jews in the midst of war zones or Jews who don't know the land or don't know the culture. But in Merat Hashem, we realize how badly we need Mashiach. And maybe, maybe the of the Sium. A lot happened in this room tonight. There's a Sium, now there's a Shear. There's a lot of Kedusha in this room. And maybe the extra Kedusha generated by the events in this room tonight is the all Qal Yisrael needs to tip the scales in the favor of salvation and may it come speedily in our days. So I'm going to share with you just a, a short a short little piece about Purim. So if you look at number one, I decided to use source sheets only because I don't, I don't like to lecture as much as I like to be able to learn with the chavrusa. So please also, if you have questions, you could feel free to, uh, to, to, to pipe up, to, to chime in. So there's an amazing Gemara. And it's perhaps one of the most enigmatic Gemaras in all of Meseches Megillah when dealing about Purim. The Gemara says, Omer Rava, inish levasumei b'puriya Yada." So the Gemara says a person is obligated. Rava says a person is obligated to go ahead. Now we normally translate levasume as to become inebriated, to become drunk. The truth is, the real etymology means to become fragrant. Fragrant is a metaphor for becoming drunk. You drink a lot of wine. I guess you smell like wine. So a person is obligated. Says the Gemara, "Mechayiv." Person is obligated to drink a lot of wine on Purim. Ad lo until a person doesn't know the difference between cursed is Haman and blessed is Mordechai. This is a Gemara concept that we're all familiar with. Interestingly enough, the Gemara provides a story right afterwards. Rabbi and Rabbi Zera of the Sudas Purim Bahadi Adadi. Rabbi Rabbi decided to have their Purim Suda, their festive Purim meal together. If some they got drunk, come Rabbi Shachte Rabbi got up and he killed Rabbi Zera. That's how drunk they got. Rabbah got up to kill Rabbi Zaira. You know, the Masha comments on the skimara. The Masha says it can't mean that Rabbah killed Rabbi Zera, but the Masha says, what it means is Rabbah pushed Rabbi Zera to drink and drink and drink till Rabbi Zera either died of alcohol poisoning or was on the cusp of dying as a result of alcohol poisoning. What happened? The next day, Rabbah realized what he did. He davened for Rabbi Zaira to be healed. A miracle occurred, and Rabbi Zira either was healed or brought back to life. Lashana Amr, listen to this story. The next year came along, so what happened? Rabbi said to Rabbi Zira, I have a great idea. So Rabbi said Rabbi Zaira, I have a great idea. Why don't we have Purim Sa'udah together? Rabbi probably didn't have a full recollection as to what had occurred the year before. To Rabbi Zira says, Thank you, but no thank you. So miracles don't happen all of the time. So whereas I very much appreciate the invitation for the Purim Suda, I'm going to pass. So there's a lot of discussion in general about the halacha of drinking on Purim. So that you'll talk to your Rav about the halacha, so, I'm not here to talk halacha, but I'm here to talk a little bit of hashkafa. Because the truth is this kimara is troubling on a hashkafic level. And what the reason it's troubling is because if I were to ask you to summarize all of Yiddishkeit in one word, what would it be? All of Yiddishkeit in one word, distill it down to one word, what would it be? Simcha, that's always good. Matchlichkeit. Mm-hmm. All right, it's probably more than one word, fine. Hey, Emunah, good. I'm sorry? Ava. Beautiful, right? The truth is, really all of Yiddishkeit comes down to one thing moderation. It's all about moderation. It's what the Rambam calls the Derech hamutza, finding the middle path in life. Judaism does not believe in extremism. Now, of course, the challenge, of course, is who's extreme, who's a moderate, what's the middle path? Okay. But big adol, big and this is the beauty of Yiddishkeit. Like if somebody asks you, what's Judaism's view on Gashmius? right? What's Judaism's view on materialism? What's the answer? Like most things that somebody asks about Judaism, it depends. That's always a safe answer, right? It depends. It depends. And that's the true answer, right? Is materialism good, bad? It all depends how you use it, right? If materialism becomes the be-all, end-all of your life, it's bad. But if materialism is used ultimately, again, to facilitate spiritual accomplishment, then it's incredible, then it's incredible. It's all about how you use things, and it's all about using things in the right measurement, in the right moderation. What's striking about this gemara is a seemingly rabbinic mandate to overindulge, and overindulge in something that could be quite dangerous. Remember, again, there's not one story of too much wine in Tanakh that ever ends well. It never, ever ends well. And so it's fascinating to see that here the Gemara is telling us that you should drink. Oh, you could say that Rambam gets into again, you only have to drink a little bit more. The Pashat Pshat in the Gemara is the Gemara telling us to get drunk. That's the Pashat Pshat. And it's so drunk, the Gimara says again, until you don't know, there's between Aror Haman, is Haman, and Baruch Mordechai. And I just want to tell you, again, this is not a Lamb of Shashir tonight, but all of the Rishonim and all of the Achronim, they lose it over this Gimara. Because it sounds like you don't know, seen between Aror Haman and Baruch Mordechai. What does it sound like? You don't know, there's between what? Between what? <laughs> Almost like right and wrong. You know what it means when you get so drunk that you don't know, difference between right and wrong. You know what the, You know what Chazal call that? They call that Lot Drunk. Shechruso Shalot, right? Lot gets so drunk that he commits two repeated acts of incest. Right? When you get so drunk that you don't even have a conception of to right and wrong. So, what does this mean? Drink to the point that I don't understand. Arachman and Baruch Mordechai, Chazal telling me to drink so much that I don't understand right and wrong. It can't be. It can't be. So, what is the Gemara trying to teach us? So, there happens to be a beautiful insight if you look at number two in the Chachmas Manoach. The Chachmas Manoach was written by Rav ben Chizky, who lived in the 15th century. And he says something. I'm not going to do this outside, but I put it on the source sheet so you should be able to see because it it's a riveting piece. The Chachmas Manoach says, do you know what Purim is all about? Purim is all about achtos. Purim is all about unity. Haman, the way Haman sold Achashverosh on the plan of annihilation is that he tells Achashverosh, Yeshna am ach echad There is a nation that's scattered. These Jewish people—they're persecuted, and they still don't get along. You would think that if the world hates you, at least you would like each other. But these Jews—everybody hates them, but they still can't get along with each other. That was how Haman was able to sell us down the river. And so much of Purim, so much of Purim, is our efforts to show Haman you're wrong. You're wrong. We're difficult people. We are. Let's, let's not pretend like we're not. We're, we, we are difficult people. But we might be difficult and we might be a little stiff-necked at times, but at the end of the day, no one has achdos like Klawli. So, I you know, my Rebbe. my rabbi is rabbi Mordechai Willig. And Rabbi Willig always said that the Pasik by Sinai says, The Jewish people camped singular opposite the mountain. And Rashi says, One people, one heart. Rabbi said, it doesn't say one people with one opinion. It says one people with one heart. Why not? Because Klal Yisrael never had one opinion and will never have one opinion. That's the beauty of our people. That's the beauty of our people. See, our our goal is never to get to a point of having one opinion. Our goal is to be able to get to a point of respecting other opinions. We should be able to have a conversation. And we should be able to have a spirited conversation. And I should be able to say what I want to say. You should be able to say what, I want to, what you want to say. And we could disagree vehemently. But you could be isha even with different opinions. You could be one people even with dramatically irreconcilable differences. It's possible. It's possible. So, so much of Purim is built into the dynamic of Purim is a desire to show Haman, you got us all wrong. You got us all So, listen to the Chachmas Manach says. This is incredible. He says, most people have two different types of frayed relationships. Who are the two different types? So, there there are Haman's in my life. Who are my Haman's? Who are my Haman's? Those are the people who have hurt me. They've offended me. They've upset me. They've wronged me. Those are my Hamans. And then there's another cohort of people who I don't like. Who's the other cohort I don't like? Those are my Mordechai's. And who are the Mordechai's? And Chachmas says something amazing. He says, you know, if you look at the end of the Megillah, the Megillah says, U Mordechai, achav. Mordechai was beloved to who? Rove? The majority of his brethren. And you read that pause again. What? What more could the guy do? Right? He was the architect, one of the architects, together with Esther, of salvation. What more could a person possibly do to carry favor with Claudius Yisrael? What, what, what more can you do than be the architect of salvation? And yet, rove. By the way, what does rove mean? What does rove mean? Majority. In halacha, what does rove mean? 51%. You see, rov doesn't mean like 90%, right? Because in Jewish law, and halacha, if you have a very small minority, that's called the Miyut she'ina matzui. That minority kind of disappears. When we speak about rov, rov is which means 49% of the Jewish people didn't like Mordechai. 49% of the Jewish people, by the way, lest you sh- shake your head in disbelief, less than 49%, less than, less than, less than f- f- more than 49% of the Jewish people didn't like Moshe Rabbeinu either. Do you know when everyone loved Moshe Rabbeinu? you know everybody became enthralled and in love with Moshe HaVinu? When he died, right? When he died, when he died, he was the hero. When he was alive, when he was alive, forget about it, right? Forget about it, which in general is such a musser how sometimes no one finds difficulty giving honor to the dead, right? At a leviya, everyone stands up when the casket's being taken out right? you never see someone who says I'm not standing up for that guy right? no, no one ever says right? everybody stands up for the casket and it, if only we could replicate that in life right? if only what, why does it have to be till people die that everybody gives them covered? why well, can't find a way to give each other so the Chachmas Manoach says there are Mordechais in life so the sorry, Ebenezer says so how could it be that Mordechai is the architect of salvation how could it be that only fifty-one percent of the people like him Ebenezer says it's very simple People were jealous. People were jealous. Mordechai had glory. Mordechai had a position. Mordechai had money. Mordechai had influence. And what happens when you see people experience a meteoric rise? People get jealous. That's how it is, right? People are people. You see someone else having success and I don't have that success. I get jealous of that person. So says the Chachmas Manoach, we often have two different buckets afraid relationships. I have my Hamans, who are the people who just wronged me, that's why I don't like them. And I have my Mordechais, who are the people who did absolutely nothing to me, except I think they don't deserve that success. I think I deserve that success much more than they deserve that success. And so, I begrudge them that success. And says the Chachmas Monoch something so beautiful. Purim, which is all about Achdos, what's the goal? Chayiv Inish bepuria. He says, I know I have to reconcile with my Hamans and I know that I have to reconcile with my Mordechais what's the problem? most of us have incredible difficulty with reconciliations it's hard to make that first step so the Gemara gives us an interesting piece of advice you know what sometimes a good first step to reconciliation is? good first step make a lechayim. make a lechayim. You make a l'chaim with someone and it's an amazing, amazing thing what happens, right? Chobazos doesn't mean drunkenness, doesn't mean drunkenness. Just sometimes a little bit of alcohol allows people to lower their guard in a healthy way. And when I lower my guard in a healthy way, suddenly I'm ready, receptive, willing, and able to reconcile with those people who I've held at arm's length for all too long. Because isn't that what Purim is all about? Reconciliation with an I you know I sing in my shul every year that besides the Rambam that says that it's better to spend more money on Matanos La'avionim. Well, you didn't mention that this time. That you, you could go ahead and fulfill Matanos La'avionim through this organization also. Said it at right. the Siem. right? So, it's, so Rambam says it's better to, better to go ahead and fulfill the Mitzvah, give more to Matanos La'avionim and less to Shalach Manos. But there's another piece Your friends don't need your shalach Don't give shalach to your friends. One simple reason. Your friends already know that you like them. The proof to that is, they're your friends. They know you like them. They know there's a relationship. They don't have to get your whole beautiful themed shalach right? They they don't need it. They don't need it. You know who does need your shalach Maybe the person who you've had a little bit of a rocky relationship with or maybe the person who's totally and fundamentally marginalized and lives on the periphery. The whole essence of Purim is all about reconciliation. It's all about creating and engendering achdus within Klav Yisrael. And the Chachmas Manoch says so that the Gemara is teaching us is, you have to reconcile with your Hamans, you have to reconcile with your Mordechais, and if you need a little bit of alcohol, if you need a little bit of lachaim to take off your personalistic edge so that you have the comfort to reconcile with someone else, go for it. That's alcohol well used. That's alcohol well purchased. If it engenders Shalom and Klal Yisrael, that's the Mitzvah of Purim. But I want to take you on a little bit, I think is just a profound insight into the nature of the Mitzvah, but I want to take you on a little bit of a detour for just a moment. The Chidushi Arim. if you take a look at number three, Chidushi Arim. Has a the Gerebah. You can see over I put a little bit of a biography over here. So the Gereva has a, a dramatic take on this mitzvah of drinking on Purim. And he writes, adam dargas adam harishon Listen to these words. Says the Gerebhidusharin. When you drink on Purim, the Mishtayain, through drinking on Purim. Listen to these words. A person could come to the level of Adam HaRishon before he sinned. Who said being Jewish is difficult? Right? You just need to drink a little bit on Purim. Drinking on Purim, I could be propelled back to the state of Adam HaRishon before he sinned. chayiv <speaking in Hebrew> ad so we'll pause here for just a moment. What the Rebbe is making reference to is as follows. If you take a look at number four, so you know the story. Adam and Chavah given one mitzvah, one simple mitzvah. Do not eat from the tree, Eitz Das Tovarah. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's all. It's the only mitzvah. They defy that mitzvah. They do not keep that mitzvah. They consume. So the Torah says. If we take a look at number 4 plus Zion, verse 7. Their eyes were opened up. And they realized that they were unclothed. They took fig leaves and they made for themselves clothing. So says the Chidusharim something absolutely amazing. That when we go ahead and we celebrate Purim, and specifically drink wine, we have the ability to be transported back to the state of Adam and Chava before the sin. Before the sin. Before the sin of the Eitz Das Tovarah. And the Rebbe says, that's the meaning. You're obligated to drink on Purim Ad Delo Yada. Until you get to the point Delo Yada. What does it mean Delo Yada? Delo Yada is a reference to Bereshis. Vayedu. They knew they had sinned. You can get back to the point before they knew that they had sinned. You can be transported back to the state of Adam and Chava prior to the sin. I want to say something. The beautiful part of being a Chassid, I encourage everyone to become a Chassid. It doesn't be externally, but at least internally, is when the Rebbe says something, you don't have to understand it. You just have to let it permeate your Neshama and it feels so good. I have no idea what the Chadish is saying yet. Well, we'll delve into it a little bit, but here's what I know. What he's telling me is the power of Purim and the power of Mishta on Purim is that when I drink on Purim and I celebrate on Purim, I could transport myself before Vayetu before they knew they were unclothed, before they knew what they were doing, before they knew that they had said, I could be transported back to a state of being before sin. That's the power, says the Svas, says He goes on. He says, Last three lines. Last two lines. Excuse me, of number three. Ki'ayin mevatel as dato shala adam. Because what does wine do? Alcohol is mevatel the das. Alcohol negates intellect. Right? For many of us, what it does is it amplifies emotion and dulls intellect. It takes away the das. Says says the chidu through the mitzvah of celebrating on Purim with wine, I have the ability to propel myself back to the period before the first sin, the ability to propel myself back to a point where I'm kulo totally spiritual. It's beautiful, and it's wonderful. But what is the chidu shei talking about? So I'm going to take you a little bit more, just on, on, on a little bit more of a detour, and then we're going to bring it all back together. Take a look at number five one last piece, and then we'll bring everything together, the Zohar. So it happens, is a beautiful passage from the Zohar that describes Esther HaMalka standing in the outer courtyard, right before she's going to go into HaKashverosh. But if you look at the last two lines, last two lines in number five, he says, Purim, is Hashem Yom HaKipurim. Purim, why is Purim called Purim? So the Zohar writes, because it's a derivative of Yom Kippur. A derivative of Yom Kippur. He says, "Why? I, what it was the connection? Because ultimately, again, Yom Kippur will be turned into a day of celebration. By the way, we have historical precedence for this. We actually had this in Dachyomi not so long ago. In, in Moed Katten we had it, where the Gemara describes that the year they built the Beis HaMikdash, Shalom HaMath built the Beis HaMikdash, they did not fast that Yom Kippur. It was a day of celebration. They ate. They ate on that Yom Kippur. So this biblical precedent that there'll come a time during messianic redemption when Yom Kippur won't be a fast day Yom Kippur will be a day of incredible celebration. So therefore again the Zohar says the Zohar says that where does Purim come from? Purim is a derivative of Yom Kippur. Aye, but they seem to be such dramatically opposite experiences. Yom Kippur is so solemn. And to a certain degree, even heavy. Yet Purim is so jocular, right? Purim is so much simcha, an extreme simcha. And almost like, not even festive, but almost like a silly type of simcha. You couldn't find two days that are more opposite than each other. Yet the Zohar says, they are inherently intertwined. purim is a derivative day of Yom Kippur. And the Gemara says in number 6, in the Gemara of Luchos Tainus, The Gemara says, Why was Yom Kippur such a day of Simcha? Because Yom Kippur is a day of forgiveness. Yom Kippur is a day we received the second tablets, forgiveness for the sin of the golden calf. It was a day of forgiveness. So the Zohar says that Purim, is a derivative of Yom Kippur. That just like Yom Kippur is a day of forgiveness, Lichom Purim is a day of forgiveness as well. So just keep in mind all the pieces we have so far. Number one, why are we drinking on Purim? Number two, the Chidush says, you drink on Purim, you are transported back to a period of time before the sin. You can get back to the point before. You can get back to the point before they knew that they were unclothed. Before they knew they divested themselves of all their holiness. The Zohar, the Zohar, Purim is a derivative of Yom Kippur. But what's the greatness of Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur, Slicho Mechila, forgiveness. What does that have to do with Purim? One last piece that I promise we're going to bring it all together. Take a look at number seven. The Piyajatsna. So I'm sure you've learned the Torah of the Piagetzna before. Rav Korom HaMashkama Shapira HaShem Dama, the Rebbe of Piagetzna. The Rebbe of Piyajetzna was an overwhelmingly exceptional tzaddik. The Rebbe of Piyajetzna was a holy Jew who went ahead despite having suffered staggering losses himself <laughs> over the course of the war. His wife had passed away before the war. His mother passed away before the war. His son and his daughter-in-law were injured during the German bombardment of Poland on September first, nineteen thirty nine, when they when they when the Germans invaded, his son-in-law and his son and daughter-in-law were 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 injured. They both subsequently died as a result of their of their injuries. The Piazna had one surviving child, a daughter. And um, she she was deported. She was deported. She was rounded up in a selection and the Piazna never knew what happened to her. And in fact, it's actually overwhelming because, you know, in the, the Ish Kodesh is a collection of drushas that the Piagetzni used to give every Shabbos, every, not every Shabbos, but whenever he was able to, he would give a drusha in the Warsaw Ghetto. And these drushas were sometimes, you know, given in underground bunkers, sometimes in apartments, wherever the minion was wherever the meeting was taking place. And so there's a little bit of a historical debate if the Piagetsna wrote them down after Shabbos, or the Gabai that wrote them down after Shabbos, and I'm sure you're familiar with the story. The Drushas were hidden in a milk canister and buried in the rubble of the ghetto. And after the war, Piagetsna didn't survive. And, and in, the, in the introduction to the Ishkodesh, he writes, he writes about his daughter. He writes about his daughter. And he writes about the day, he puts down the date that she was, that, that she was taken from him. And he, he writes so longingly, like a tefillah for her safety, a tefillah for her. And the Piagetzna didn't realize that even before he wrote those words, she had perished in Treblinka. The Piagetzna is, you know, it's like before scene we we're talking about the Lublin Rav. There are some people who, their physical, they didn't leave behind physical progeny, but they left behind spiritual progeny. Because we learn the Torah and we're just uplifted. You, I, I, I always say whenever I speak to and to educators, I, I, always feel like the Eish Kodesh should be part of the curriculum of every yeshiva, every day school, every Beis Yaakov. Because not only is it a beautiful Torah, but it's, it's a lesson in Mesir Snefesh right? You know, we speak about challenges in Yiddishkeit. We, we can't even begin to fathom what challenges really are. What real Messirah Snefesh actually looks like. So, the Piejetzna, so much we could do a whole share about the Piejetzna. Maybe the next time Mo invites me back, we'll do on the Piejetzna. But for tonight, I'll just share with you something amazing. The Piejetzna is a piece on Purim. And he says in number seven something amazing. He says, This is number seven. So, the Piejetzna is picking up on this theme. This theme that starts in number five in the Zohar. That again, Purim is a derivative of Yom Kippur, it's a derivative day. And so says the Piaget, the Kiddusha of Yom Kippur mirrors or is like the Kiddusha of Purim. The Piaget says they're really, they're one and the same, which it, it's so dramatic to hear this. The Kiddusha of Purim and the Yom Kippur are one and the same. Ki, listen to what he writes. Ki b'Yom HaKippurim chayiv kol echad mi Yisrael lehis anos velotsum b'chol isum b'chol matzof. Verak im yavo lematzof shabikuch nefesh Yit nulo le'echo kedei Yom Kippur Yom Kippur you have to fast You have to fast The only reason you're not, you don't have to fast in Yom Kippur is why? Is why? Pikuach nefesh Right? Or Safek pikuach nefesh Right? If fasting is going to cause mortal danger Or potential for mortal danger You don't have to fast So says the Piaget something absolutely amazing A Yid, a Jew Has to have Mesiras nefesh For Yom Kippur you have to be willing to put everything on the line for Yom Kippur. Okay, if, if fasting is going to cause me to lose my, that I'm not obligated to do. But anything short of that, Yom Kippur requires an awesome amount of Mesiras Nefesh, self-sacrifice. And look what the Piaget writes: V'hachi nami adam purim Mesiras Nefesh. Says the Piaget The same Messias Nefesh self sacrifice that you have to bring to Yom Kippur, you also have to bring for Purim. You also have to bring for Purim. An incredible idea. So the Piejetzne says the Zohar links Yom Kippur and Purim, right? Purim is a derivative of Yom Kippur. The Piejetzne says the same way that I'm obligated to engage in Mesir As-Nefesh self-sacrifice to fulfill fasting on Yom Kippur, I have to be willing to be Moser Nefesh to celebrate the Purim. Now, if we pause here just a moment, understand who the Piagetan is saying this to. How do you think to the Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto, we have to celebrate on Right? No one of us has difficulty in Mesir nefesh and Yom Kippur because every day in the ghetto was Yom Kippur. Right? Every day was Rosh Hashanah, every day was Yom Kippur, every day was Tishabov. But the Rebbe was telling them, by the way, the same as Nefesh you bring for Yom Kippur, you have to bring for Parim. The same self-sacrifice you would engage in order to fast, you have to engage in that same level of self-sacrifice in order to go ahead and celebrate. So I threw at you now a lot of information. And it seems to be all disparate, unconnected, but let's weave it all together. If we go back for just a moment... If you go back to just a moment, let's talk about Adam and Chava for just a second. Go back to number four. Now that you've seen all the information, let's weave it together. So remember again, Adam and Chava commit that chet. They commit that adherah. They eat from the eats Das What does the Pasik say? Again, once again, Pasik Zion, number four, verse seven. vayedu ki erumim hain. Now, let's go out of order. Erumim, they were unclothed. So the truth is the Svarim bring down that it wasn't just that they realized that physically they were unclothed. But they realized Adrom doesn't just mean unclothed, naked, it means divested. They realized that they had one mitzvah. They had one mitzvah. God asked of them one thing. The Rav gives you an entire world and he tells you the world is yours. Enjoy it, utilize it. I just have one request of you. Don't eat from one Shri, that's all. They, they, they didn't comply. They violated. They were Arum. They realized that they had divested themselves of their personalistic holiness. The word Yada, the word Yada doesn't just simply mean to know something. No, there are many things I know. But yadiya represents knowing something on an intimate level. In fact, again, remember, the biblical word for marital intimacy is yada. Va'adam to know, represents knowing something, connecting something on the deepest, most intimate level. You know what the Pesach is saying? Adam and they open their eyes, they thought to themselves, we're done. We're done. We've, this is the end of the road. God gave us one thing to do. You know, we think about this, and we're like, I can't believe they did this. Right? I can't believe they did this. God gave them one little thing. And by the way, it's not even like it was a steak. Like, it's a tree, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like this, what, what's the Yitzhakara? There's a whole bunch of other trees, right? Just eat some other fruit, right? One thing, one thing that Kaddish Baruch Hu told you to do. And you couldn't comply. One thing al Kaddish Baruch Hu asked of you, and yet you could not go ahead and honor that. Vayedu, in the Ba'ashem Leva says, Vayedu, they knew on a deep and intimate way that they had divested themselves of any shred of holiness. They were naked. They were without anything. Totally spiritually unclothed. Now the mistake of Adam and Chava is that they thought that they were forever deficient. They thought that they were forever broken. And that's why, again, there's a whole series of events. The whole marriage of Adam and Chava is a fascinating one, and the nature of their relationship, and how they deal with adversity and setback. But it's clear that Adam and Chava felt after this mistake, this is the end of the road. There's no rebound. There's no redemption. There's nowhere else to go is a definitive statement that says, we've hit the end of the road. There's no way to go back. There's no way to go forward. We are forever arum. Adam and Chavo were the first people to ever think that we are so damaged that we are simply beyond repair. But amazingly enough, they were fundamentally wrong. What's the proof they were fundamentally wrong? The proof that they were wrong is Yom Kippur. What's the whole essence of Yom Kippur? What's the beauty of Yom Kippur? Right? The Gemara says, we just saw number six before, the Mishnah Mesechistain is that the greatest, happiest day was Yom Kippur. The truth is, ask most people how they're feeling, Yom Kippur afternoon, especially in Mincha time, right? You know, when most of the shul is not awake, right? We, people don't realize we lay in Sefer Yonah every year by Mincha. They're like, wow, I didn't know when did we start that. Right, so, so, you know, ask people, how do, you, how, do you, how do you feel in Yom Kippur? People feel drained, people feel exhausted. How many people feel Simcha? Maybe your body doesn't feel the Simcha. But you're in Hashemah. You know Hashem has never felt a greater state of elation. Why? Because what does Yom Kippur represent? Yom Kippur is the paradigmatic example of second chances. That there's no such thing as being down and out. There's no such thing as hitting a brick wall and being unable to rebound. Whatever you've done, whatever you've done, whatever I've, whatever however I've messed up, no matter how many wrong turns in life I may have made, no one is beyond return. No one is beyond salvation. So you have this incredible dialectic. You have Adam and Chava, Vayedu Hain. The tragedy of Adam and Chava is not the fact that they sinned, because sin is part of the fabric of the human condition. Baruch Hu knows we're going to sin, he accepts we're going to sin. The tragedy of Adam and Chava is not the fact that they sinned. The tragedy of Adam and Chava is that they sinned and they had absolutely no hope for salvation. They sinned, and they felt that there was absolutely no way to backpedal out of this, or maybe not even backpedal, to forge a path forward. They gave up on themselves. They fundamentally gave up on themselves. And the proof that they were wrong again is ultimately Yom Kippur. The beauty of Yom Kippur, and the simcha of Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur comes on, you know Yom Kippur says, Yom Kippur says, no matter what you've done at Baruch, who says, I'm willing to forgive you. No matter what you've done, I'm willing to give you a tabla rasa, a blank slate. I'm willing to give you a fresh start. I don't care what you did. You should enumerate it, clap your alchet, your bagadnu. You have to do so, you have to go through a process. But whatever, in fact, it's even stronger than that. Because remember again, the power of Yom Kippur, Rebbe says in Mesechas Yuma, it's shal yom mechaper. The day itself atones, which means if a person spends the entire day of Yom Kippur in bed, doesn't get up. Doesn't open a machzer. Was that a good Yom Kippur? Is that a good Yom Kippur? Maybe it's not the best Yom Kippur, but it's still a great Yom Kippur. Do you know why? Because the day itself has <coughs> cathartic properties. Even if you do absolutely nothing. Because the power of Yom Kippur is Hashem telling us, I am willing to forgive. I'm willing to give second chances. I'm willing to give you a restart. And the truth is, so we begin to see, what does the Zohar say? So, if Yom Kippur is a day of second chances and new beginnings, and no matter how badly I've messed up in life, there's no such thing as Vayidu ke'erumim. You could always start again. You could always start new. It's not about second chances, it's about millionth chances. However many chances you need, HaKadosh Baruch who gives it to you. What did the Zohar say? Purim is a derivative of Yom Kippur. Listen to what we do on Purim. You see, part of the tragedy of Adam and Chava is Adam and Chava felt they couldn't change their circumstances. They messed up. I can't change anything. This is the rot that I'm in. Yom Kippur comes along and says, you could change whatever you want in life. Now it's true, some external circumstances you can change. But when it comes to you, who you want to be the personality you want to carve out, the identity you want to have for yourself, that is up to you and solely up to you. Purim is a derivative of Yom Kippur. And think about what do we do on Purim. We give Matanah Slav What is Matanah Slav well, Think about this. What do we do on Matanah Slav like, There's poverty in the world. There's poverty in the world. So there are two ways that you could look at poverty. Possibility number one is what do you do about it? What do you do about it? You bemoan it. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebach, it's so sad that there are poor people in the world. It's so sad that there are those who don't have. You could do that. You could krechts, right? You could let out a sign, right? You could do that. Or what else can you do? What else can you do? Be an agent of change. That's Matanos Slevyonim. Matanos Slevyonim says, there are circumstances that are broken in this world, but I can do something about it. I can do something. Mishloach Manos. Like I said before, who should you give Mishloach Manos to? To the individuals with whom you have a frayed relationship. Because Mishllah teaches us that if things are broken, you could fix it. Your bad relationships don't have to be bad forever. Now, it's true sometimes if the other party is uninterested, there's nothing you could do. But try. Try. Reach out. Don't settle for things being broken in life. Try to do something. We read the Megillah. The Gemara says, "Kriasa zohilula." The reading of the Megillah is Hallel. Hallel is the way we connect to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Reading the Megillah is the way, is the vehicle of connection to God. Why do we read the Megillah? You know, what, sometimes, let's be honest, we don't have a very passionate relationship with God. If we're honest with ourselves, this, I think, by the way, <laughs> is one of the greatest contemporary challenges in the Jewish community. Right? Remember. It's not about keeping Shabbos anymore, because if it is, you could pretty much do anything you want in this world. I have a woman in my shul who is in the president's cabinet, and she is a Shomeres Shabbos. You could do anything, be anything you want, and you could keep Shabbos, right? Paranassa, Baruch Hashem. We have unprecedented opportunities. But yet, what's amazing is we're so apathetic. So apathetic. And you know who it affects most? We see it in our children. We see it in our children. How could it be that there's so much apathy? How could it be that we take our Yiddishkeit for granted? How could it be that we're so quick to just let opportunities pass by? How could it be that we don't see there's so much beauty, spiritual beauty all around us and we don't grab it? When we read the Megillah, what we're saying is, I want to reconnect. You know, I often say, the problem we have with our Baruch Hu is, We often have this conversation with God. We don't explicitly articulate it, but it kind of goes a little bit like this. I love you so much. I really I love you so much. But I think we should see other people. You know, I'm not, I'm just not quite, I have commitment issues. So I love you. I want to be clear. I think you're great. It's not you. It's me. Right? But I'm just not ready. Like, you know, I want to kind of be over here, be over here, do this, do that. I love you. I want to be clear that I love you. But I'm just not, why can't we commit? Why can't we just be all in? All in to Tefillah B'tzibor. All in to Talmud Torah. All in to Chesed. All in to Tznis, and Whatever that means for different people. Different, all in for Shabbos. All, why? Why can't we just get all in? Why can't we just get all in? And overcome our commitment phobias and our commitment issues. Again, each of us in our own level where we're up to and what we're comfortable with. Beginning the Megillah is the opportunity for us to recommit to HaKadosh Baruch to say, I want to fix this apathetic relationship. So now I begin to understand the Zohar. Purim is a derivative of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the when I recognize that that which is broken doesn't have to remain broken. But that which is broken can be fixed. No matter how broken it is, because Yom Kippur is the day of new beginnings. Purim is a derivative of Yom Kippur. And so what do I do on Purim? I'm going to give him a When I see what the B'Hashem De'la says, if you see something that's broken in the world, do you know why Hashem allowed you to see that? Do you know why He wanted you to see it? Because He wants you to fix it. Because He wants you to fix it. There's nothing you see in this world that Hashem doesn't want you to see. So if you see something that is broken... The Ribbosham wants you to see it so that you could fix it. So you see that there are people who are suffering from poverty? Great. There are afraid relationships? Mishloach manos. I'm, I'm non committal in my relationship with Hashem? Mikra Mikilo. Purim lies the river Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, new beginnings. Fix that which is broken. And Purim is the same exact dynamic. Fix that which is broken. But here's the challenge the challenge is that it's wonderful to hear it in a she'er, but often we don't believe it. You know, I've come to find this, and I don't know if Rabbi Karapkin has the same observations after, he's a longer veteran of the Rabbanas than I am, but I find it astounding how many people walk through life and inside they feel broken, and they don't think that they could ever really fix themselves, and they put on a good face, Right? Outwardly, they look together. Outwardly, they look confident, happy. But inward, shivrei kalim, broken utensils, not really believing that they have worth, not really believing that they matter, and believing that because of all of their life mistakes, I'm just never going to get it back on the rails. So we learn all of these things. Purim, Yom Kippur, three things on Purim. You can start again. But comes along the Gemara and I'll take it full circle with this. I'll conclude. Comes along the Gimar and says, what's the obligation on Purim? Mechayiv Inish levasumei b'poria. You have to drink a little bit on Purim. However much you want to drink. Drink a little bit on Purim. Why? And, or, or for what purpose? Ad dilo yada. What's the goal? Like the Chidush Rim said, the goal is to get delo yada before the state of Adam and Chava, before the state of the sin of Adam and Chava. But you have to get Adlo Yada ben Ar Haman le Mordechai. You see, everyone believes that Mordechai has the ability to be righteous. But does anyone believe that a Haman has the ability to be righteous? Now, the Haman we refer to is not the Haman in the story, but the Haman that we refer to is often the way we feel about ourselves in the aftermath of profound life Failure. Because sometimes I feel like a Haman. Sometimes I do things and I'm so profoundly disappointed in myself. I can't believe I did this. And I can't believe I was working so hard and doing so well. And I can't believe I let myself slip back into certain behaviors. I can't believe I allowed myself to say this, to do this, to act this. I just can't believe I did it. And so in my heart, in my heart, I feel like a Haman. And the danger of feeling like a Haman is... We always assume, you know what happens to Haman at the end of the story. I don't want to ruin a few at the end of Megillah, right? But it, it, it doesn't end well, right? Haman's don't have salvation. Haman's can't be redeemed. So if I'm a Haman, then there's no personalistic redemption for me as well. And Kongzlong B'Gemaren says, there could be nothing further from the truth. Nechayiv inish levasume bepurya Ad The obligation to drink on Purim is because sometimes what we need to do is dull the intellect just a little bit so that we could believe that whether I'm a Haman, or I should say, whether I'm a Mordechai, or I'm a Haman, I could get to the state of Ad Delo Yada. I can get back to Gan Eden before the sin. I could restart, I could reboot, I could recalibrate, I can start again. And herein lies the profound beauty of Purim. You see, you know what the challenge of Purim is? Purim often doesn't afford us the opportunity for introspection, right? Because often it's such a chaotic day, there's so much going on. That really does a person say, you know what, I sat by myself for 30 minutes on Purim and I thought about the meaning of life. But we have to carve out a little bit of time to be able to do that. Because the profundity of Purim is that ultimately Chazal telling us that if you just dull your intellect, then again, sometimes you have to think a little less and feel a little more. Now, again, that might be intellectually offensive to some, right? If you're Hasidically challenged, that'll be a little bit offensive, right? But it's the key to successful living. Don't think a little less, feel a little more. And that's the essence of Purim. Because if we allow ourselves just to feel, then we'll realize that, you know what, we've all made mistakes. And some of us have made some really big ones and some really significant ones. And many of us walk around life feeling like we're damaged goods. And no matter what I do in life, it's never going to be good. Right? I'm never going to be the person I want to be. I'm never going to cultivate the identity I truly want. I'm never going to accomplish the things on a rukhni level that I've always yearned and dreamed about. Because I'm damaged, I've made too many wrong turns. i made too many bad decisions. And comes along Purim and says, there's nothing further than the truth deloyada. everybody could get back to the point in time of Adam and Chava before the sin. Whether you're a Baruch Mordechai or an Ar-Haman, Purim offers everyone a new beginning. So this coming Wednesday night and Thursday, this coming Wednesday night and Thursday, Yom Tav of Purim, the derivative of Yom Kippur is going to come upon us, a brand new beginning. The clock starts new. The slate is wiped clean. Your mistakes madhava hava. What happened, happened. The past is the past. The only thing that is undecided is what the present and the future are going to hold for me. That's the power, that's the profundity of this day. Maybe Zilchem Hashem to tap into it, to appreciate it, and to make a beautiful plan for our blank slate of a future. Have a wonderful evening.